and welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the show today. This episode is the second in my March 2023 series on habits. And today I'm going to be tapping into wisdom from BJ Fogg's awesome book, Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. If you've listened to the show for a while now, you have figured out that I have a thing for books in the self-help category. Um, Tiny Habits came out in 2020. It was a few years after Atomic Habits by James Clear uh, came out, and we touched on that book last time. Um, And both books were influenced by Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, which came out several years before. Um, To be honest, for a long time, I thought that one book on habits was enough because I really like Atomic Habits so much. Um, but I am reading Tiny Habits now, and I'm completely geeking out on uh, what it has to share and coming on here to share with you today. Um, I'm going to guess that in the future, I'm going to get into the power of habit as well, although not for this series. Um, I was an English major in college, and I used to read a lot more fiction and literature in my past life. Um, sometimes I you know, sort of get on myself because I don't read very much fiction these days, Um but you'll find me geeking out in the self-help section. Um, Here we are. (laughs) Um, If you have read both Atomic Habits and Tiny Habits, one thing you're gonna notice is that James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, writes from his experience as someone who had to employ certain behaviors, uh, certain habits in order to recover from several major serious life-threatening injuries. Um, And he later created a career out of studying habits and speaking about them and writing about them. BJ Fogg, on the other hand, is a PhD, he's an academic, and he created the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford. And he used behavior design principles to look at human habits. Um, And thus, they both have a really, uh, you know, sort of different approach um, although their ideas are absolutely complementary, and um, as you may have noticed, I'm totally here for it. <laughs> so the good news is that if you are not a self-help geek like me, um, I'm going to help you out by distilling some of the wisdom from these books and helping you to employ the tools to get more of what you want from your habits and to work on letting go of habits that aren't serving you. So let's get started. Something key to tiny habits and the success of the system is recognizing the fact that emotions drive habits. As we've talked about in previous episodes with the tool called the model, this foundational idea that our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings drive our actions. Similarly here, BJ Fogg talks about emotions driving our habits. And it's really important to understand that if you wanna have success with habit change. This is why so many of us end up trying to white knuckle our way through change, hating it all the while, feeling like it's too hard, often giving up. When we're trying to start a habit or stop a habit, 
We are often, you know, sitting at more calm and rational moments, making a plan such as I'm going to quit eating sugar. I'm going to start tomorrow. And from tomorrow on, I'm never going to eat sugar again. We might be feeling really motivated at that moment. And we think that the simple decision, you know, the simple declaration that I'm going to stop eating sugar, we think it's going to be easy because we have the current feeling, the current emotion of feeling motivated. But what happens? Tomorrow comes. Things might be fine for a while. We might have some of that motivation carrying over and it helps us to you know, choose to order a latte instead of a mocha, not to add sugar to our tea, whatever that is. But then the rest of the day happens and we might be feeling stressed or frustrated. Before we know it, almost unconsciously, we might find ourselves, you know, digging into the donuts in the break room or, you know, reaching for the candy that we have stashed in our drawer. What we often fail to recognize when we make a plan, such as I'm going to quit sugar tomorrow, is that we are failing to understand that reaching for sugar, that action is the action that we take because we are feeling stressed and because we have learned that this helps to discharge, at least temporarily, some of the stress we feel because we get a little bit of dopamine and we get some distraction from pleasure. Emotions drive habits. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about in this scenario, but of course I can acknowledge that not all of us turn to sugar when we're stressed. So here are some other ways that I find that this shows up for people. I tell myself that I will start going for a run after work, trying to exercise more. I put my shoes out in the morning next to the front door. But after work, I walk through the door, I look at the shoes and I think immediately I'm too tired and I head to the couch. I'm working on getting my notes done at each patient visit, but then I get double booked or I get a CT scan back that shows metastatic cancer for one of my patients. And then I find myself feeling completely overwhelmed and I don't close any notes all day. I want to stop yelling at my kids. And I tell myself that starting today, I'm not going to yell anymore. And then that very same afternoon, they're in the basement and it seems like Lord of the Flies. And I stomp down to the basement yelling at them to knock it off. Now, in each of these scenarios, behaviors have arisen that solve for the emotions occurring in the moment. Flopping down on the couch is a response to fatigue. Overwhelm and worry means that we can't focus on charting. Anger causes yelling. These responses are not who we are. They are not permanent or fixed, but they are the ways that we are used to behaving in response to these emotions. And they happen nearly instantaneously. So we can feel like we have no choice. The problem for most of us is that we start judging ourselves often quite harshly for these behaviors, rather than see them as conditioned responses. When we start learning thought work, recognizing and understanding our emotions and the conditioned responses, we can start to ease up on the judgment. I don't yell at my kids because I'm a bad person. I yell at my kids because I'm not used to pausing in my emotional state of anger, recognizing that I feel angry taking a deep breath or doing something else to take care of myself, and then going to tell the kids that they can't do whatever it is they're doing. 
But if my approach to habit change is to white knuckle it, suck it up buttercup, and just deciding that I don't yell without considering, excuse me, why I yell, why do I have the habit, or even considering what emotions cause me to yell, it's really hard to make a change. And that default state is why many of us, one of many reasons why many of us hate change. Change feels hard because it often feels like we're forcing ourselves to do something, whether it's not to yell, not to eat sugar, etc. It feels like we're forcing ourselves to do it against our own will. It's not really against our own will, though. It is against our current emotional state. Yet another reason to do this work. When we get good at pausing in our emotions, naming them, not resisting them, allowing them to be there, and responding to our own emotional state with self-kindness and compassion, we get to have a completely different experience of creating habit change. This is true of habits that you want to build and for habits that you want to undo, although the process can be a little bit different. I'm going to slow down here and talk a little bit about that last bit on responding to ourselves with kindness and compassion, because this is a place where I know that I get stuck and it's a common thing that comes up for my clients. How do you think about yourself when you feel angry? And I'm just using anger as an example. For many of us, especially if you're socialized as a woman or you're socialized as any marginalized identity, Feeling angry is something that we judge ourselves for, often because we have interpreted the message that it's not okay for people like us to feel angry. Said another way, we are conditioned to not feel or express anger because anger in women, for example, is not socially acceptable in many circumstances. And when we actually feel anger, because we are humans and humans feel anger, we become steeped in self-judgment about the anger or feeling like we shouldn't feel angry. But what if we unwrap that belief a bit or unwrap it a lot? And instead of this automatic self-judgment and self-hatred, we decided to see anger as an alarm or like the check engine indicator on our car, telling us that it's time to pull over and check in. What if we approached our angry self the way that we might approach a young child who is angry, mad at her sister for breaking her toy. Are we angry at the child for feeling anger? Do we judge her for having an inappropriate emotion? Or do we look at her with compassion, right? We so often will allow other people to have emotions that we feel are off limits to us. And really that's unfair. We're human. We have the full complement of human emotions, whether we acknowledge it or not, And we can learn to treat ourselves with self-compassion and kindness. The idea, slowing down in our emotions, noticing our emotional state, and pausing to say, I am feeling angry. I am feeling overwhelmed. I am feeling sad. Even this little act of pausing makes it less likely that we reach for the candy, less likely that we yell, or any other conditioned habitual response that we don't like. We're putting a little space in there. Conversely, when we're working on a new habit, something that we're trying to do more regularly, such as exercise or flossing, pausing to acknowledge that we feel tired or bored 
or disinterested in the new habit also allows us a bit of a, a bit of time, a bit of a pause to consider whether or not, sorry, a bit of time to pause or consider whether or not we will make the choice to proceed and do the habit or not. So creating that little moment, that little recognition of you having an emotion, if we pause there and we acknowledge that we're tired, right? We're, we've worked a busy day. We're honoring how we feel in the moment creates a little space. And then I get to make a decision about whether I'm going to go ahead and put on my running shoes and head out or not, rather than automatically responding by simply flopping on the couch as though I have no choice in the matter. I'm too tired. Therefore I cannot go out. Notice how it feels different, even though it's a really tiny step, right? Pausing there to acknowledge your emotions is something that can make a big difference when you're working on your habits. We can take this even further if we've done some work thinking about our future self and what habits our future self has. We might still decide that our future self uh, goes out for a walk or a run, even when they're feeling tired, because this version of us knows that they feel better when they do this behavior despite tiredness. That future self, the version of us who exercises regularly, doesn't rely on desire to go out or motivation to decide to exercise, but they've also learned how to acknowledge their emotions and follow through in a way that doesn't feel like it's against their own will, but it's in alignment with their ultimate goals, right? I might decide that on a day that I'm feeling really tired, really overwhelmed, um, you know, I just had a tough day, I still go out for 10 minutes, And I acknowledge that I have the choice whether to continue for more, but I don't necessarily cave in because I have paused to recognize my emotional state. I pause to acknowledge it, and then I get to make the choice. Similarly, the version of us who doesn't solve her stress with sugar has learned that the cravings for sugar may always be there, uh, you know, to reach for the candy when the day blows up but that the cravings are just a feeling. The feeling can be acknowledged without having to follow through in an unwanted behavior, right? We have the choice and then pausing to recognize the emotions that we're feeling, it allows us a little bit of space to decide how we're gonna show up for the rest of it. Understanding that our emotions drive our habits and that we can choose to make big changes in our lives by using this knowledge to our benefit is powerful. This is true for yourself as well as for others around you. If you've ever struggled to help patients make lifestyle changes and felt frustrated when the numbers don't budge, understanding this principle is key to helping them to be more successful too, right? You might coach them a little bit on how can they start to recognize where their emotions are getting in the way. If you want to help your kids with building healthy habits, Helping to dig in a bit here can also be helpful, right? They may never feel motivated to do their homework, but if they can learn to acknowledge that they're feeling tired, that they, you know, are feeling bored or whatever, and they can make the choice to do it anyway, this is a helpful skill. Now, it's also true here, though, we need to acknowledge that not everyone will magically find these tools helpful. And you are not going to be able to use this knowledge to force others to change and suddenly meet your expectations. It doesn't work that way. But even so, you will still do a lot of good for yourself 
and others if you remember that emotions drive habits. That's what I have for you today. I want to thank you so much for tuning in as always. Um, If you're interested in doing more of this work with support, I do want to let you know that I have two options for working with me, either one-on-one coaching, I still have some spots available, or my group program for women physicians, Healing Perfectionism in Women Physicians, which will start enrolling in April of 2023 for the next cohort. If you're listening to this episode later in the year and you missed the deadline, no worries. I run this program three times per year, and the waitlist is open on my website when times are not open. So just head to www.healthierforgood.com and click upcoming groups at the top to sign up. Next week, we'll be talking more habit goodness, and I will be sharing more tools from Tiny Habits. So come geek out with me. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week. And thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye for now. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.